Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Well, today, um, my staff asked me to start this, this service today. In fact, this little mini-series we're going to be doing for the next four weeks. They asked me to tell a story. So I'm going to start with a story and kind of tell you how Jeannie and I ended up here as the pastors. Most of you know we were missionaries. In fact, we were missionaries for seven years. We were in Mexico, five years in Guadalajara, a city at that time about three, three and a half million people, and then a couple years in an Indian village. And our intent was to be missionaries forever. We, were, we, we, we used to say missionaries live in, missionaries dead. We will be missionaries all our life. In fact, I would come to the States and, and preach and for pastors and think, oh, you poor pastor. I know you feel sorry for missionaries. Listen, missionaries feel sorry for you. They think, what a boring life you live, you know. And, and uh, so, so we would preach for pastors, and, and, and I would just say, I feel so sorry for you. You know, preach to the same people every week. You know, you should be with us starting churches and holding evangelistic meetings and casting out devils, and this is fun, you know. But you guys, you're just here in church in the States, and it's boring. In fact, uh, my definition of failure was to pastor a church in America. That was what I considered failure. And in fact, I had said, I will never, how many of you know you should never tell God what you're not going to do? <laughs> I said this, I had said, God, I will never pastor a church in America. And above all, I will never pastor a church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. <laughs> so you know how that all works, don't you? So, so we're missionaries. We love, 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 love being missionaries. We love it. Right? So we get invited to a missions conference in St. Louis, Missouri at Grace World Outreach Center. Their Thanksgiving conference was always a missions conference. And uh, we, we went up there at that time. I think Samuel, our, our second son, was just a few months old. Josh was a couple years old. Not even. Yeah, he's probably two years old. And... Samuel wasn't feeling real good, and Janie said, you know, okay, can I just, like, miss the afternoon service and, you know, just stay here with the kids, and you go to the service. So, so I ended up getting to the afternoon, 2.30 service, a little bit late, and Marilyn Hickey was preaching out of the book of Genesis, and she had taken the, the, the dreams of Joseph, and she said, I'm going to preach on how to receive your dream from God. So I'm sitting in the back kind of all alone, right? I've got my Bible open, I've got my pen, I've got my paper, and I'm taking some notes back there. And she's preaching away, and suddenly the Lord visits me by revelation and says, go to Grand Rapids, pastor a church, do this, 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 and this. And it was like you put money in a machine, you know, like you're going to go get a sandwich or a Coke. Back when you, I don't know, it probably cost a dollar now, but back in the day you used to put 50 cents in it and it would just kind of go clunk down the bottom. I mean, that thing just went clunk right on the, into my heart. And three minutes before, if you had said to me, I will give you $10 million to move to Grand Rapids and pastor a church, I'd have laughed at you. Right? And then, all of a sudden, I've got this burning desire to move to Grand Rapids and pastor a church. Now, the Bible says that God gives you the desires of your heart. How many of you know that's not talking about a car or a house? That's talking when he puts something down on the inside of you. Right? So, time passes, little time. We come up here to Grand Rapids. 
And we were here for just a couple of months, and Pastor Jim Bug, who pastored at that time what was called the People's Church, which is now Resurrection Life Church, we ended up changing the name because shortly after we got here, uh, there was a guy named Jim Jones who had the People's Temple. I remember the People's Temple. He had everybody drink Kool-Aid and 900 people died. And we were, he was People's Temple and we were People's Church and people thought we were affiliated with him. And so we just figured it'd be a good thing to change the name. So we changed to Resurrection Life Church from, from People's Church. But Pastor, G, Pastor, Pastor Bug came and uh, he said, I, I want to meet with you and talk to you. He called me up and said, uh, meet me at Denny's on 44th Street and the Expressway. So we go to Denny's, and I had no idea what he was going to say. And, and he said, I feel like I'm supposed to step down, and you're supposed to be the new senior pastor of the church. And, he, and, and uh, I, I said, you know, I don't really, I'm really not interested. I said, uh, I want to start my own church. I said, I want to create my own problems. I don't want to inherit somebody else's. That was my thing. That's what I was thinking, you know. And he said to me, he said, will you pray about it? So, of course, I said no. How many know you can't say no? When somebody says, well, you pray about it, you can't say no. So I said yes. All right. And went back to the house and I said to Jeannie, I said, uh, she said, what did Pastor Bug want? And I said, well, well, he wants to step down and he wants us to take the church. And, and he just asked me to pray about it. And he, she said, well, let's pray. Let's pray. And so I did. I prayed and I said, God, how do I tell him No. <laughs> I'm serious. That's what I pray. I, I wasn't interested. I was like, you know, just pray and just like, okay. So after a few days, Jeannie says to me, she says, well, what about, what about the church? And, and, and she says, I feel like it's God. We're supposed to do it. And so I told him, yes. How many of you know your wife's always right? <laughs> pretty much, pretty much, pretty much. All right. So, so uh, we ended up coming in, again, it's been 32 years now that uh, we've been the lead pastors here at Resurrection Life Church. Now, but I want to talk to you in the next several weeks, four weeks, about the things that the Lord spoke to me and said to emphasize this, 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 right? So I want to talk to you about the things that God put on my heart at that time that we're supposed to emphasize, right? Now, the first... The first one, very simple, was praise and worship. Now, you may not know this, but they were worse. There, was, there was worship before there was ever a single human being in existence. In Job 38, it says this, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? When the morning stars sang together and all the songs of God shouted for joy. The angels in heaven were worshiping God before God even created the earth. Now, you look in the book of Revelation... And you've got these, these, these four beasts. And, and they're falling down and they're worshiping God. And then they get back up and then they fall down again and they cry out and they go, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then they get back up and then God gives them another revelation about himself and they fall back down and they go, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then they get back up and then God gives them another revelation and then they fall down again and they go, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They have been doing this for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And God just keeps on revealing more about himself. And every time he does, these, these creatures, they just fall down and they worship. The Bible says in Revelation 7, 
The angels stood around the throne, the elders, the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne of God and they worshiped. Now in the book of Genesis, worship starts out like a little bitty trickle. But by the time you get to the book of Revelation, you've got a tsunami. You've got the saints and the angels and the elders and the living creatures. And they are falling down and they are worshiping and they're singing and they're worshiping God. Now, you and I tend to get hung up on style. Right? Now, let me just say this about God. You, you know this about God from creation, that God likes variety. And he likes diversity. And the truth is, God likes all kinds of music. I know you don't, but God does. Right? Get this. God likes rock and rap. He likes classical. He even likes country. I mean, God likes all kinds of music. Now, you might think, well, I just don't like that. In fact, I, I remember, you know, some time back, this was, this was several years ago, a woman came up and, 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 and she was as sincere as could be. And I, I understood where she was coming from. And she said, Pastor, she said, these new songs, this new song, this new music, she says, we need to get back to anointed music. She said, we need anointed music. I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, like the hymns. She said, you know, like a mighty fortress is our God. And I like that song, by the way. All right. But I want you to remember, Martin Luther took a bar tune and put the words to a mighty fortress is our God to a bar tune. All right. And now we think that's anointed. All right. It's not the style of music that makes the music anointed, right? It's the words and it's the musician that makes the music anointed. In fact, in 1 Samuel 16, the Bible tells us that Saul, there's an evil spirit that is oppressing King Saul. And they bring King David. This is the first time anybody ever gets delivered from demon power in the Bible. They bring in David, who's going to become King David. And he plays a musical instrument. And as he plays, the evil spirit leaves King Saul. The first person who ever got delivered from demon power got delivered as someone was worshiping God. Now, I believe this, that during a worship service, if you worship, the spirit of God can just come right down and set you free right as you worship. You don't even need it. Sometimes you don't even need to be prayed for. Right? So what type of worship do we use? Here's what we did years ago. How many realize that church is not just about the people that are in church, but the people that need to get into church? Anybody realize that? Okay. So what we did was we simply, we went around and we asked questions of unchurched people. And we said, what type of music do you listen to? And this is what was amazing. None of them listen to organ music. <laughs> Duh. Duh. In fact, I gave the organ away. You don't know how much trouble I got in when I gave the organ away. There's a few of you that are still here that remember when I gave the organ away. Oh, did I get in trouble because, you know, some people were like, we can't have anointed music now because we don't have, we don't have the organ. Right? But what we need to do is we need to use music 
that people that don't attend church, when they come to church, they can connect with that music, right? So worship, listen, brings revelation. Worship brings revelation. Now, the example I want to give you is Moses. Moses is out in the desert. He's keeping his father-in-law Jethro's sheep. And he sees a burning bush. And when he sees that bush, he goes over and he turns aside. And God said, don't draw near to this place. Take off the sandals from your feet. For the place where you're standing is holy ground. He takes off his sandals and he hits the ground. He's worshiping. And God said, I'm the Lord your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. Now, the first thing that happened when Moses began to worship was God revealed to Moses who he was, who God was. But then God said to Moses, now, Moses, I created you to be a deliverer and I'm going to send you to Egypt and you are going to deliver the children of Israel out of the oppression of slavery and you're going to bring them to the promised land. So when he worshiped God, not only did God give him a revelation about God himself, but he showed him his destiny. He showed him the plan that God had for him, the purpose that God had for his life when he began to worship. Now, it's not just true about Moses. It's true about you and it's true about me. It says this in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. It says that we may do the good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us. Taking paths, he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them. God has a plan, a purpose, and a destiny for every single one of us. And much of what God reveals to us about his purpose, plan, and destiny for us happens when we worship. And worship is a matter of the heart. The heart of the matter is that it's a matter of the heart. That's what worship is. Now, you, listen, you can lift your hands, dance, sing, fall on your face, and it not be real worship. It's not real worship, the worship God's looking for, until we connect with God from our heart. Jesus said that they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. We've got to connect our heart to his heart. It's not just a matter of external things. All the external things don't work without the internal thing. Our heart being turned. Matt Redman is a worship leader in England. And he tells how his pastor was teaching on worship and wanted to show that worship was more than music. So for a period of time, they banned all singing in their services so that people could learn that there was more to worship than just singing. Right? And when that time was over, he wrote a song. It's kind of a classic. We just did it a little bit ago. A Heart of Worship. He says, I bring you more than a song because a song itself is not what you've required. You search much deeper within than the way things appear. You look into the heart. Real worship is a matter of our hearts, right? You can worship without singing. In fact, in Romans 12, it says this. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Spiritual worship. What when you present your body to God? When the devil says, I want you to use your body to sin, and you say, no, 
I'm going to use my body to glorify God. The Bible calls that spiritual worship. And how many of you know that has nothing to do with clapping or singing? Right? But it's worship. Right? And the truth is that everybody worships. It's just not Christians or somebody who considers themselves spiritual. Because every person was made, you were created to worship. Right? And if you don't worship God, you'll worship something else. If you refuse to worship God, you may end up worshiping your career, finances, family, your boat, your hobby, fashion. You will find something to worship. It's in Romans chapter 1 where it says, Although they knew God, they didn't glorify him in God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, they knew God, but they didn't glorify him. And they weren't thankful. There was no praise. There was no worship. Right? And the result was the Bible says that they became futile in their minds and their hearts became darkened. You, if you don't worship God, and you, well, we'll see this in just a moment, what happens when you worship is you become like the one that you worship. And when you don't worship God, you come to the place where literally you do not know right from wrong. The Bible goes on and says that they worship the, and serve the creature rather than the creator. If you don't serve the creator and worship the creator, you will find some created thing and you will worship that created thing. Now, in John chapter 4, Jesus said this. He said that God is seeking worshipers. Listen. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. He's seeking worship. Listen. And and I'm going to talk about this because I'm not going to be able to finish today. I'm going to talk about this a little bit next week. Worship is a spiritual commodity. It is a sought-after spiritual commodity. And he said God is seeking worshipers, but the way to worship is spirit and truth. Right? You have to connect with God spirit to spirit. Right? It's a matter of the heart. Now, when you connect, you you can lift your hands, you can clap, you can fall down, you can twirl around, you can do all sorts of things. But listen, the moment that you connect with God in worship, something changes. And by the way, God doesn't change. He's the same. See, the moment you connect, you say, God, I'm sorry. God, I surrender. God, I will do that. God, change me. God, make me. I remember years ago when Pastor Merle taught me that. This is what Merle told me. Pastor Merle said to me, he said, you know, he said, when people worship and they connect with God, he said, God can do more in 30 seconds than I can do in 100 hours of counseling. Because you become like the one that you worship, right? And in worship, we are supposed to change. Now, in Ezekiel chapter 46... We find Ezekiel's describing what's going to take place in the millennium when Jesus rules and reigns on the earth for a thousand years. And he's talking about the temple. He gives the dimensions of the temple. He talks a lot about it, right? Now, Ezekiel 46, verse 8, I want you to listen. When the prince enters, that's Jesus, he shall go in by the way of the vestibule of the gateway and go out the same way. But when the people of the land come before the Lord, On the appointed feast days, whoever enters by the way of the north gate to go worship shall go out by the way of the south gate. And whoever enters by the way of the south gate shall go out by way of the north gate. 
He shall not return by the way of the gate through which he came, but he shall go out through the opposite gate. You say, what does all that mean? This is what it means. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changes not. He's perfect. And the way he comes in, he leaves exactly the same. But every one of us, when we come into worship and we connect with God, when we leave, we don't leave the way that we came. We're changed. When you worship God in spirit and truth, you change. You're saying, you're saying to God, God, change me. Change me. In Hosea chapter 9 and verse 10, Hosea is rebuking the people because they've been worshiping the false god, Baal. And this is what he says. He says, they became an abomination like the thing that they loved or the thing they worshiped. They became an abomination like the thing they loved or worshiped. Right? When you worship, you become like the one that you worship. It may not be a great illustration, but you take a seven, eight-year-old kid. Right? One, of my, one of my grandkids, uh, he is really, really into sports. Right? And, and his, his, his favorite sports figure wears pink tennis shoes. Right? I, I guess this has to do something with fighting breast cancer. Right? And so you know what kind of tennis shoes he wants? He wants pink tennis shoes. Right? He wants a jersey with his number on the jersey. Right? Why? Because he wants to emulate, he wants to be like all right, that little sports hero of his. Right? But do you know when you worship God, you will become like the one that you worship. Right? In, in his presence, addictions drop, habits disintegrate, hearts melt. The Bible says that mountains, they melt away at the presence of the Lord. And whether you know this or not, when, when, when you are worshiping and praising God, it brings deliverance. Jesus said this, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Right? Now he's quoting Psalms 8. And the, the psalm says you have ordained strength. So Jesus is saying that praise ordains strength. And then it goes on, it says, because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When we're praising God, it is a type of spiritual warfare, right? And literally the Bible says that it silences the enemy in the avenger. It brings defeat to our enemies. Now, there's a great example of this in the book of Acts. The apostle Paul and his team are in Asia Minor, and he has a dream. And in his dream, there's a man from Philippi, from Macedonia, who says, come over and help us. So they immediately, they get on a boat and they go over to Philippi. And they get there and they start preaching. Now, I don't notice if you've noticed this about Jesus, if you've read the New Testament very much, you'll notice when Jesus preached, not everybody was happy. Jesus preached and some people got happy. Some were glad, but others got mad. Right? Some, got, some got glad, some got mad. Well, when Paul preaches, there were some people that got mad. Right? They didn't like what he was preaching. And so they took him. They whipped him. They have him thrown in prison. He ends up in a dungeon. Their backs are bleeding. He and Silas, they put him in stocks. And the, the Bible says that they're down in the dungeon and it is midnight. Right? Now, it was literally 12 o'clock midnight. But it was, I believe, also symbolically midnight. 
How many of you have ever had things really, really go bad and it's like it's midnight? Everything is upside down. It looks like you can never get out. And the Bible says they're praising and they're worshiping God. And everybody's listening. And the Bible says suddenly there's an earthquake. And everybody's shackles fell off. That's an interesting earthquake. And the jailer comes running in. And he sees the shackles and he sees the doors are open. And he takes out his sword. He's about to commit suicide. Because the penalty for a prisoner escaping was execution. Not just an execution, it was crucifixion. And he figured it would be much better if I just take my own life. And the apostle shouts out, he says, don't. He says, stop. We're all here. And he comes over to Paul and says, what do I need to do to be saved? Who would have thought that the man in the dream was the jailer? Yeah. But what happened when they began to praise and worship? God showed up. The power of God showed up, and there was deliverance. The Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. God inhabits our praises. Right? Now listen, we're supposed, to be, we're supposed to be praisers. But unfortunately, some of us are grumblers and complainers. Right? Now God does not inhabit our grumbling and complaining. And when we grumble and complain, we don't get God's pity. Right? The Bible says in Psalms 100 in verse 4, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Right? If you are going to go and see the president, there's protocol on how to come into the presence of the president and what to do in his presence. Well, the same thing is true with God. He says, you enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And by the way, everyone here, you were created in the image and likeness of God. And the best way to come into somebody's presence, if you want to talk to somebody, you want to talk to your wife about something, the best way to come in is with thanksgiving and praise, not with grumbling and complaining, not with telling them how bad they are, but the best way to come in is with thanksgiving and praise. It says in Psalm 16, you showed me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, when we come into his presence with thanksgiving and with praise, the Bible says there is fullness of joy. And there is pleasure forevermore. But the devil's going to try to keep you out of that place of praise and thanksgiving and worship. He's going to try to keep you in the place of grumbling and complaining. But in his presence, there is fullness of joy. If you're in debt and you come into his presence, there'll be wisdom to bring you into financial freedom. If you're addicted to drugs or alcohol or tobacco or pornography and you come into his presence... You will find the power to break that addiction off from your body and your soul. You see, if you're on the brink of a divorce and you come into his presence, he'll give you the grace and help you need to save your marriage. We come into his presence and into his courts with praise and thanksgiving. Everybody is opening doors. The question is, are you opening a door for the power of God to come into your life or are you opening a door through grumbling and complaining for the enemy, death, who brings death, defeat, distraction, discouragement, and depression? All of us are opening a door. But which one are we opening? Say, would you bow your heads for just a moment?
if what Jesus said about himself is not true, then there is nothing that is less important than, what, than Jesus. But if what he said about himself is true, there is nothing that is more important than Jesus and your relationship to him. I believe that Jesus is the hope of the world, not the government, not education or social programs or science or a judicial system or world trade. Jesus is your hope and my hope. What Jesus does is what no other institution can do. He makes you new on the inside. He forgives you and he gives you a brand new heart. He said the thief, the devil, he comes to steal and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. Some of you, you are one decision away from a new life, the abundant life that Jesus has for you, a totally different life where you have peace with God, where there's forgiveness, there's direction, and there's purpose. And if you're here today and you need to get right with God, you're away from the Lord, or you've never given your life to him, I'm going to count to three in just a moment. When I say three, Would you please lift your hand? We're going to pray together. God's going to meet you right here in this place, and you're going to leave right with God today. He's going to make you new on the inside. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All of your efforts to get right with God will never make you right. All of my efforts will never make me right. Jesus said he is the way, the only way. And as you lift your hand today, the first thing you're saying to God is, God, I know I need a Savior because I'm a sinner. And I know there's only one, and that's Jesus. And I'm coming to him today to be forgiven and to be saved. One. If you lift your hand, you're saying, God, I'm going to turn my back on my old life. I'm not going to live the way I have been for myself. I'm going to live for Jesus every day. Two. Now get ready. When you lift your hand, you're saying this to God. You're saying, God, today, I believe Jesus is the Savior and the one who can forgive me and make my life new. And I'm, I am receiving him today by faith. He's going to come into my heart. He's going to blood wash me from my sin. He's going to make me a new person on the inside, a part of your family, on my way to heaven. Three, lift that hand up. Lift it up. Say, pray with me, Pastor. I am not where I should be. I want to get right. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. God bless you. Somebody else, include me. Thank you. God bless you. Up in the balcony, God bless you. God bless you. Another hand back here. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, sir. God bless you. Just saw that hand go up. All right. Would everybody please stand? Let's take one hand, put it over your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven. Let's pray with everyone who just lifted their hand. Just repeat this prayer out loud. Make these words your own. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again and he's coming again. I receive him today as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you for blood washing me from my sin making me a new person on the inside, a part of your family, on my way to heaven, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 
or visit us at reslife.org.